he felt this massive euphoria that he caught the rabbit. He was very excited, he was so happy. He was hugging his wife and hugging us and everything. And he got really excited about it. And that guy had a female harrisal and he flew his female harrisal for years. He basically took it up to Scotland. Uh, he, he's up there, he moved up to Scotland. He catches crows with this female harrisal. It's an absolutely awesome female harrisal. But we, he said, he said afterwards when he's seen us, he said that, you know, you, you created a monster. He said, like, I, I just love it. I love the whole idea of it and, and, and the excitement and the primeval thing that it's brought out in me. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Welcome back for another episode of the Falconry Told podcast and what is now episode 16 of our series featuring falconers from the UK. This is our second to last episode of this series, and I really hope that you all have gotten a lot out of the series and enjoyed it. And of course, it wouldn't have been possible without the help of two falconers from the UK being Simon Tires and Neil Davies. If you haven't gotten a chance to yet, you definitely need to head to thespecialistfalcon.com and get your copy of Simon's book, The Specialist Falcon. And also, if you haven't yet, at least head to pursuitfalconry.co.uk and check out Neil's Pursuit Falconry and Conservation magazine. There's lots of great information in every new issue, and I highly recommend that you check it out and subscribe. And as I just mentioned, these are our last two episodes of our UK series, and these last two episodes had to be recorded remotely due to some different travel and logistical constraints that we ran into while I uh, was over there in the UK. And yeah, unfortunately, there's just sometimes not enough time to get everything in that you want to, but... Fortunately, I was able to reconnect with Jose and Charlotte recently since I wasn't able to at the game fair and bring you all this conversation about some of their experiences with hunting as well as their CJ's Bird of Prey exhibition and education business and some of the different experiences they've had with that. So just an FYI also, I did run into a little bit more lag and delay issues this episode than I did with some of the other remote ones that I've recorded. I've done my best to clean them up as best as I can, but regardless, I hope that you all enjoy some of the different perspectives that might come from this episode and the conversation in general. So with that, I give you all Jose and Charlotte Sudo. Here we go. Well, I'm glad you guys made it home okay. <laughs> We're going. So, yeah. Yeah. It was a bit of a nightmare. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's a long drive from London, and then Charlotte picks me up at the station. But I mean, it's, uh, yeah, we got there in the end. That's all right. That's good. That's good. So I, I know when I was with Simon, he said that you guys have been having like a huge issue with your rail systems up there and stuff with like the government trying to force through all kinds of new, uh, like new tracks and stuff in different areas and just kind of destroying everything <laughs> like, yeah like uh so i mean how's that has that been affecting you guys with uh any of your hunting areas or anything or not personally no i mean no. It, it affects me going to work um so basically uh um i've had a lot of days where i've been working from home because whether the trains are on strike or whether the tubes are on strike um and, and sometimes both of them are on strike um i can't get to work i mean it took me uh, it, it's 100 miles to london and uh it takes 45 minutes on a train and then once you get there, then you've got a sort of 15 minute uh, tube ride. But that 15 minute tube ride is right across London underground. And uh, if you go by, I mean, when, when there was a tube strike, I tried to get a bus and it took me four and a half hours to get to work. And, it, and it's less than 
six miles, six or seven miles, yeah. something like that. Yeah, it's just ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And so, and on the way home, it was even worse because on the way home, uh, you just you just couldn't get a bus. So basically, it was just like sort of six hours from work to home. Uh, and you Is know, it the joys of working at home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, Charlotte. I I don't think you got the the same problems, right? No, 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 no. no. It's called fall down the stairs and <laughs> yeah. walk out the back door. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's uh, sounds like that's a much better route to go. Uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, so, do you guys? I mean, like Jose. Then, do you not? I mean, is you not ever entertain the thought of just? Drive. I mean, would just driving like cut down any of that time at all? Oh, no, 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 no. That's that even worse. worse. That's that, even that. worse. Uh, the drive from here to London is not too bad. It's when you get to London, the seven miles basically from the outside of London to the inside of London can take you twice as long as getting from here to London. The London traffic's terrible. It's really, really bad. Really bad. I mean, you just forget taking your car into London. It's absolutely ridiculous. You know, I won't bother. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that gives me anxiety just thinking about it. Uh, yeah, and me. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Well, I'm anyway. Whatever. I'm. I'm glad you made it back. Um, <laughs> yeah. We'll. Um. Yeah. Hopefully, you will. I don't know. Find something down the road that maybe. Uh. You know. Cook a little closer to home, or chef a little no, closer. I'm to happy home. that he does it. I'm happy. <laughs> it, was, it, it makes great. Well, well, between us. Well, recently, my my job's taken a turn, and basically, I, I I work in London three days a week, and I work from home. I'm office based at home two days a week, so that gives That's me a enough. little bit more more time to be at home, and actually gives me a bit more time with the birds as well. So, which is great. Sounds like my wife talking, basically. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still doing the uh, the commuting and the contract work and stuff out of town uh, a few days a week, and and. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of keeps us from killing each other too. So I, <laughs> pre-COVID, pre-COVID, he'd go on a Monday, come on a Friday, and COVID, five days, seven days a week at home was just something that we had to both make a conscious effort to uh, try and deal with each other. Yeah, you. Whenever you have to really start going out of your way to to try you know, really, really try to be nice to each other, you know, yeah. you know, you know, it's start, it's yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, I get it. Particularly when it's Jose's hobby and my life mm-hmm. with the birds, mm-hmm. um, it, that, that also puts a lot of pressure on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of pressure. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. So remind me again, how many birds do you guys have at home right now? Uh, so it's a little bit quieter now because the breed, obviously it's not the breeding season, but probably sixty-two. Sixty, yeah, sixty-two, something like that. Sixty-two. <clears throat> That's including our our breeding average. So we've got three pairs of peregrines, two pairs of apromados, one pair of harrowhawks, uh, which we breed, and a partridge. And, a partridge. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then we've got um, it, it's it's sort of weird the way it works with the because Charlotte's got like two teams, and then we've got the hunting team. Um, so the two teams you want to about? Yeah, we've got the display team that go out and do all the country fairs and things, um, and then we have an experience day, which is our hands-on team. Um, the hands-on team tend to be slightly like the Kestrels, the Barn Owls, and the Harrises, um, where obviously your display teams you need your falcons for small shows and small falcons for the bigger shows, um, and then obviously we've got the a, a new eagle at the moment as well. Um, a new baby, Chilean Blue, um, who's just an absolute dream. 
Um, if they were more avail financially available, um, I'd say it was a beginner's bird. Um, it, it's been the it's easy, just it, so easy. It has been the easiest bird we've ever trained. You know, it, it's By just far. been it. It's just like someone gave it the manual of Falkman. It read it and it knows what to do. Yeah, I mean, it's been so easy. I, I cannot say how easy this bird has been. We've both flown other ones before, mm. and I flew a female years ago, a young female, and an adult male here for for, for many years. We've flown him and, six, and he he was great, but he became um he became broody and aggressive as he got older, and so he went into a breeding project. And that's why we've got this bird now. Um, so, so yeah, and then between the two birds as well, between the two teams that we've got, there are birds that interchange between them, and then also yeah. there are birds that you know, if there's something particular that you know, if we do something for television TV or, or or videos or something like that, something particular, then we normally there's birds that we can use for that. And then up, then up also we've got the hunting team. We've got two peregrines, a goshawk, and we've got a harrishawk that basically are on the hunting team. Mm-hmm. Well, why do I mean? Why do you think that that particular bird then is like the easiest you've ever trained? You think it's just that bird, or do you think there's something about that particular species? Or well, a lot of people say it about the species. I'd never thrown a youngster, um, so I couldn't be certain of it. Um, I, I think it's the just... individual bird because I've flown. I flew a youngster female, and maybe the female's a little bit more aggressive, and she was more aggressive than this male. This male was just a pussycat. Yeah, absolutely, and and it's a pair of red bird. It's not an imprint. So. Yeah, huh. he he hoods well. He circuits circles well. It's obviously the wrong time of year for thermaline, but um, he'll still go off in the strong winds or or even no wind, and he'll still pump round and do a nice couple of circuits round and to the fist. And he's yeah, he's very young. He's still young. Hmm. And we we used to have a bird at the shows where um, there's a there's a do you know what helter skelter is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if mm-hmm. So basically, there's this helter skelter that goes to a lot of the shows. And it's quite a big one, and it um, it's normally parked outside the arena. And uh, we used to have an eagle that we used to go right to the top of the helter skelter, hood him, and, hood and then him, climb it. it, and climb it, and then Charlotte um, would call it into the arena. So this eagle would thermal into the arena, flying over the top of everybody. It was fantastic. It looked brilliant. Um, and uh, the guys, the helter skelter guys, loved it because everybody was looking at their, you know, their their things. Oh, I've got to go and do that later, mm-hmm. and that worked really well. And this bird is going to be one of those birds where we can do that with it, and it's going to it's going to want to do that, and it's going to thermal in really nicely. So nice, nice. Well, I mean, for I know whenever we did our podcast, you know, it's almost already been a year ago whenever we did that. that no, no, yeah, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of <laughs> funny to think about that, but uh, I know whenever we talked uh, during that episode last you know we we kind of touched on you know you guys's um you know like business and and all the other stuff that you do along with with your falconry but now that we have you both on just go ahead and and talk a little bit more in depth about you know the business and give people more of a of a background on it real quick okay um well cj's birds of prey started now uh 15 years this season coming um we started um i was working for jemima parry jones um at the time and she was leaving to come over to the states um of which she did um and she's she had some birds that she couldn't take that were confiscated birds in this country for one reason or another she couldn't take them with her because they couldn't leave the country and she kindly offered them to me um and at the time big discussions between myself and my father and we set up the business it grew and grew and as is with anything in falconry it's an obsession 
and addiction and everything else in life that um, follows with it. Um, and then you become hoarders of birds. Um, some of the team here that are retired in our eyes, um, that are in their 20s now, I've got a couple of owls that are in their 20s. Um, and they started with me those years back. And it's gone on from there, from strength to strength until my father left the team uh, three years ago. Yeah, he retired. Uh, he retired, yeah. um, has moved over to where my sister lives now. And I took it on myself, um, still with the support of the family when you need it. Thank goodness. Um, and yeah, it's just gone from strength to strength. But we, we travel the length and breadth of the country in all directions. I know nothing compared to the States, but... Um, yeah, we can go top to bottom within seven or eight hours, mm -hmm. um, in, unless you're hitting London, of course, and then that's just <laughs> yeah, all bets are off. Yeah, yeah, it's anyone. Yes, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, we've, I mean, Charlotte and I met when we, you know, I, I was, uh, we, 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 we've been friends for years, and, and one day a, a show, at basically a Falkenry Fair in London, but that was not London. It was very part of Shropshire. Uh, she lost one of her peregrines. Um, the peregrine basically was spooked and it went off and there was a few guys that had gone out to try and find it and I, I, I went out looking for it as well. It's the worst place to lose a bird because <clears throat> everybody's trying to sell telemetry. Everybody. So they've all got their tags on in the arena and your bird's gone the opposite way and you keep coming back to the main arena, um, which was our biggest problem at the time. Um, he was a young bird. It was his first ever show. I shouldn't have done it. It's one of those hindsight things hundreds and hundreds of falconers around the outside of the arena and it clears off and flies through a deer fence just yeah. to make your breath go so so i found him um and then one of the 24 hours later yeah i found him 24 hours later and then he spooked when i went to try and get him because this this bird was very one person like charlotte nobody else even in years later and we we started going out and everything and we got married it still didn't like me um and uh and then um one of the other guys basically got it the other side of the hill so anyway all of us had helped and gone out and John uh, Charlotte's dad was chairman of the uh, Central Falconry Club um, and I was a regional chairman. officer for the uh, British Falcon Association which was another big club and so uh, we we both sort of had bits and pieces to do with the Hawk board here in the UK and everything and uh, we felt like we knew pretty much everybody and so um, their club became an associate member of our club and we had a piece of land up in um, in Derbyshire um, and Charlotte and her dad basically came up hunting to Derbyshire. Um, we, we'd always known each other and we'd always had other partners and it just happened then that we didn't have other partners and yeah, and it went from there and that was it. So basically, and we, we've been together ever since. So 15 years and yeah. counting. You get less than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was just a uh, year 16 for, for my wife and I, so I, I understand. I understand. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get it, but no, that's so. I mean, how many um, how many people do you have helping manage your your teams then right now? How many people do you have currently working for you, Falconer wise? Working for me, I have Sophie, um, and then we have a, an incredibly loyal, uh, strong team of volunteers. Um, we have volunteers that just come round to the shows for us. Um, then we've got guys that can just do a Thursday afternoon, and he comes like clockwork. 
Um, and he's gr absolutely great. He does one particular job. He's awesome at it. He comes in, he does it, and he glares off again, and that's just amazing. Um, <laughs> and then we've got a guy particularly that comes on days um, when I'm away at shows. He comes at weekends and helps Jose out. Um, he does have an interest in birds very much, um, but uh, he's, uh, yeah, he's just got a massive heart, and he just loves to be around them. Um, but he's very handy we, we, for us. The thing is, with the guys that basically, the volunteer here, I, I mean, I don't know how it is in America. I know you've spoken to some of the other guys that have got falconry centres and they've got volunteers as well. And, and a lot of people have a lot of interest in birds of prey, but they don't have the time to have one. You know, the time or, or, the, or just the being able to have one at home, they just can't have one. So these guys basically come here, they spend time with us. They're like part of the family. I mean, they're, you know, even Sophie, so Charlotte's employee, full-time employee, she's like part of the family. And it's... Uh, it's a it's a family effort, you know. It's a family team. It's a family business. We all sort of work together. Um, you know, the training of the birds. By Sophie's got her set of birds, which she looks after. Charlotte basically has sort of main, main, mainly the falcons, the eagles, um, and then we we sort of share the falcons and eagles, basically of, of the training and what we're doing. So if there's something particular that we're trying to achieve with a certain bird, we might try a different training technique or something new, you know, to basically because we're we're looking to, for it to do something new in in, in the shows. Um, but all these guys, you know, love it. You know, once a year we basically get everybody together. Um, you know, quite often they'll stay for dinner, you know, and things like that. So, and then, yeah, it's, it's a great bunch of people. But Sophie is our main employee. And then on top of that, outside when we go to the shows, you've got uh, Chez and Damien Chris. and Chris, Chris, basically, who are all falconers. They're all basically uh, guys that have... Uh, we've taught falconry over the years. Um, and then their own birds, they've so. got their own birds, but birds that we bred. Um, and they hunt with those birds, and uh, they come to the shows to help out. They they know they know the score, you know. They know the background of the birds. They know how to talk to people and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, that's how that's how it works. <clears throat> and I'm lucky. Well, I'm lucky or unlucky, if you like. During the summer months, when Charlotte has most of her work, I'm here looking after the fort. And basically, we've got if we've got babies or if we've got youngsters, and if we have to double up on a show, we can double up on a show. Um, I can go and sort of help out doing stuff like that. Although my 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 background isn't shows it's mainly hunting birds you know mm -hmm. yeah well how many how many shows do you guys run on average per week or is it just kind of hit and miss um i would say starting from easter weekend um until pretty much the end of september we're out every weekend and then there's not a huge amount of weekday shows in this country um but we are definitely picking up more and then you've got the schools particularly before the end of this before the summer holidays kick in um we'll be doing schools five days a week then and also the film work um you can do a film work for three days or um one we did a couple of years back um it was pretty much twice every month for a whole year um and in the peak of the summer it was near on every week um we were doing that filming it was a year life in an orchard um, you have, you have, you have a year of a, a year of the life of an orchard or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was for a Japanese TV channel, huh. and they wanted some little owls filming, which happened to be on my dining room table, not we, in we an had, orchard at all. <laughs> you, you, so, so basically, you've got to imagine this setup. There was a log, and this log had been chopped hollowed out of a tree out. and hollowed out, and they they'd strapped this gear to the top of it and a camera to the top of it, and these little owls, they they baby little owls, they put them in there. And then they'd film them wobbling around. We'd all have to keep quiet while they filmed them. 
And one of the problems that they had when they first got the log in here, the log was very cold and it was damp. And you kept putting little owls in and sort of like any owls, they just hunched up and went to sleep because it was cold. So in the end, we had to get a hairdryer and, <laughs> and warm up the log and then put them in. And then they'd you know, move around and chatter around. Do and then they, we had a really funny thing when they when, when Charlotte had taught them to fly and they were all flying well. There was, so there was three of them. It was like three wise monkeys when you put them in a tree. You know, one would bob up and down, the other one would they go left and right, and the other one would just sit there staring at you. And um, and Charlotte had to teach them to, to eat beetles, didn't you? So yeah, they, um, they wanted them to eat a stag beetle. Um, and, okay, little owls are little, a bit like your burrowing owls in the, in the States, with, to compare it in size. Um, <clears throat> bar shorter legs is about the only difference, really, between them. Um, except for yours seem to be a little bit calmer than ours. Ours tend to go a little bit psychiatric and uh, demented in their second year and try to savage you more than anything else. Um, they got little man syndrome. These yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, but we were trying to get them to eat these stag beetles. So at home, I was feeding them crickets and worms, just trying to get them to eat non-chick. And... Um, I've got to, they would they would no they'd take the grubs but they weren't interested in much else and then we got on set in this orchard <clears> and <throat> I'd let the three of them go and sit up in the tree and then they got the biggest stag beetle you've ever seen in your life and then they released it onto the floor well of course the little owls were just curious to what it was but they couldn't physically pick it up with their beaks every time they went to pick it up it would just slip out the beak um because it was so big and the shell was so tough on him um it didn't work didn't work at all um <laughs> so we just had to do a bit of imagination and put a bit of chick fluff on the top of him the, the, and, and one, dyed it black <laughs> at one point they got some smaller beetles and um and they thought they'd had it because these three birds were sitting there and they're really interested in these smaller beetles so one of them jumped out the tree and they filmed it going down everyone was holding their breath and it sort of went up and it picked one up and it pulled the piece off and then went to eat it, and as they were filming, it went t -t -t -t, spat it out. <laughs> Didn't want to eat it, so yeah, that that was quite good. And then we had another instance with barn owls. Charlotte had to train barn free barn owls. If you imagine, there's an old shed, and there was a like a tea chest, and the tea chest was the barn owl nest. So they had one chick in there, which was basically sitting in there. Uh, no, actually two chicks. Two, in chicks, there. two chicks sitting in there, and uh, they wanted a picture of the of an adult barn owl flying in. So the adult barnet had to fly in, fly onto a spade, and then fly up into the tea chest. And in the back of the tea chest, there was a little room, and uh, there was one of us basically sitting there next to a cameraman that was basically filming, had the camera basically in front of the owls, uh, or behind the owl, sorry. Charlotte got this, uh, the adult barn owl, on cue, flew in, landed on the spade where it was supposed to, and it was fantastic, flew up onto the nest, fantastic, sat on the nest, took one look, at the owls in the nest and thought, oh, dinner, and went and grabbed one. So we had to quickly grab hold of it <laughs> and stop it. Um, but in the sequence, it looks spotless, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. the whole thing looked absolutely fantastic. They looked wild. Everything looked wild, you know, I mean, um, um, when they were flying. And this it, is when you have to take all the kit off everything, yeah. bar the ring, <laughs> um, but you take everything off it and fingers crossed everything goes to plan. But that, that, like I said, that lasted for a whole year, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, that was a whole year's worth of work, you know, with these birds, training them, getting them to work, you know, getting them to do stuff that you, you wanted them, sort of any hab, you know, habits that they have in the wild. 
and getting into that. So basically, when you know, we after that we watched wildlife programs with a very different uh, <laughs> you know, thing because that that one was really a con the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. A, con. I mean, they had a trained fox, they had trained rabbits, they had what else? They have uh, I can't remember what else they had. All these a animals, weasel. weasel trained weasel. They had all these yeah. animals that were trained. Yeah, you know, basically, and it all looked wild. You know, when they done it. So yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm sure that a lot there's a lot of that that goes on in a lot of these wildlife shows from what I've seen anyway and what I've heard about from secondhand stories and things also. So it sounds kind of like, you know, par for course in that regard. Were you still like uh, you know, doing shows and stuff during that time yeah, along with that? Yeah, yeah, still at the same time running running the normal um team at the time it was just my father and I. Um my father um it is pretty much the same as Sophie and I. Um, she had he had his team, and Sophie's pretty much taken over his team, and has now got new birds on as well. Um, but I've always done the falcons and the eagles, um, and then just kind of watched over the owls and the hawks a little bit more. Um, but we've got a couple of buzzards that we've been trying to fly, and they've been there. We, we got yeah, we got some new stuff we're trying to do. But, but challenges. Thing is, thing is, our buzzards. Uh, they look very much like your red tails, but they're nothing like it. <laughs> Absolutely nothing like it. You, I suppose, you take a red tail and take three quarters of the brain away, right? And then that's probably yeah, that's a buzzard. Yeah, but you can get <laughs> very much like a Chilean blue. Every now and then, you'll get this complete freak one that will work really well and do great displays. Um, but you've probably got to get through 15, 16 birds to try and find that one. We've been trying to train it the same way as you would train a falcon on a drone. So the problem is it's an imprint bird. So when you try to call it, if you're trying to call it to a lure, a hung lure next to you, it just wants to grab hold of you. You know, it doesn't really understand. So that's why we've gone for the polar. So the polar, we can get the the lure away from us, swinging in the air, and this thing will chase it in the air. And and it's doing pretty good at the moment. We've actually put it on the, on the, drone, the drone a couple of times, and it's flown yeah. up to the drone as well. But then so, we've had a couple of days of really bad weather. Yeah. And it's it kind of you have to go back to the polar to start it all over again. They are thick. I mean, they're really like you know, they're, yeah. they're not with it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why everybody here was in England was told when you start, you start with a with a buzzard because basically, many years ago, this God, was. they are hard work. Absolutely. If you can train that, you can train anything. <laughs> yeah, I've yeah, not not really heard anybody talk about training that particular species. So that's interesting. It's, it's not used for hunting, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's yeah. very much more a, a display bird. And it's important. I think it's important to try and have a buzzard going because it's a British species. And therefore, you can educate the children more on it. Um, and and try. <laughs> I do try hard to have quite a, a strong British team in um the display team the only downside is i have to say the british stuff aren't um quite as amicable as uh, some of the warmer climate birds they're just so much more highly strung so much more highly strung um that from going from the peregrines we've got in this country to your goshawks your sparrowhawks um they're almost well they're not display birds at all because of it um but then you go to even our owls in this country, the tawny owls, the barn owls, the little owls, um, the snowy owls that we've got in, in the north of Scotland and things, uh, long-eared and short-eared owls. They're all very nervy birds compared to um, your African species that are much, much calmer uh, um, and therefore easier to take into schools. Um, so you kind of end up favouring them at times instead of over what is important is to educate the the, the future 
on we, um, raptors that we've got in this country now. We, we've got we've got two two peregrines. I mean, Charlotte's flown peregrines basically in display for years. The, the problem is with the females you can't do because females are just too predatory. They just you know when you start flying them after a while that click that little button clicks and they just want to go and chase stuff whereas whereas tissels are not as inclined if you lure bound them they're they're not as inclined but what happens to tissels is that and it's happened to pretty much every tissel we've ever had is that they get to about four or five years old as they come to basically adult maturity and then what they want to do is they want to show off and so what happens is that you'll you'll end up at a show and, and Chatsworth, one of the shows that Charlotte does. I mean, you end up with this bird will go up and it's going up and up and up and up, which is fantastic. You know, it's, for us falcons, it's brilliant. You're watching this thing go up and you're getting really excited. For everybody else in the crowd, it's boring, yeah, because it's just going too high. And you'll find one of the, the last bird, the last peregrine that we were flying, we've got some youngsters now, but the last one that we actually flew, which went in for breeding, he would, there's a valley, um, which basically the, the show ring setting, so there's basically trees either side of it and there's a show rings down the bottom. And this bird would go away and I'd be watching it. And Charlotte would be talking and she'd be saying, right, now he's coming back. And he'd start coming back and she'd whistle him in to basically to stoop. And he, you'd see him sort of set his wings and he'd turn around and go away again and get higher and then come back. And he's showing off. He's showing off how high he can get and everything. And it, it's great. But then the slot that Charlotte had for him would pass. And therefore, she'd have to finish the display. And then she'd have to go out to the car park and the bird would follow her and go out to the car park and she'd have to stoop him in the car park and he might come down sort of five, 10 minutes later and it would be a phenomenal stoop, but everybody would miss it because basically you've, you've done your allotted time in the arena and you've got to get out. Yeah. And so that's what happened. When they get to that stage, we, we then put them in for breeding. So the, our, our, our whole thing here with the birds that we have is the birds fly, um, even my hunting birds, they fly. Yeah. And when they get to that stage in their life, when they're becoming broody, when they want to breed, then we let them breed. You know, if, if, if we, as long as we can get rid of the offspring, we don't just breed them for, for any reason. We allow them to basically breed. We, we've got the knowledge to be able to breed them. We've got all the incubation stuff and everything. So we just let them breed. Um, and that fulfills for us, it fulfills their circle of life. You know, they've flown, they've hunted if they've hunted and then they've bred. Nice. Nice. Well, I mean, in the midst of all this, then it sounds like, you know, just another element of like organized chaos and you guys is like life, you know, um, <laughs> In the midst, in the midst of, of juggling all this, then, I mean, how often do you still manage to find time to get out in the field and actually, you know, go hawking? I, I, I basically start hawking around about September, um, where I basically get the peregrines out. Um, it depends on basically what I've got. Um, at the moment, I've got a uh, a three year old female peregrine which I'm flying, um, which is one. I think I might have mentioned her in the other one, but she had she was born with a twisted beak. Um and she's doing really well. I mean the, the last year she was not even two, was it? Or she, yeah. yeah, she'd yeah. have just been two. She'd just been two and she laid eggs. Um we put her in the male to model and not expecting her to do anything. And she laid eggs. Um they were infertile because the male that we put her with is uh is a very old male and he's, he's not gonna do anything. But uh then we gave gave her two kestrels to rear, um, which we we bought off a friend and we put them with her to basically for her to rear them for two weeks. And she reared them. You know, she was a great mum, which is like, wow. You know, she's they're my two... display birds. Yeah, so she's only two years old. Um, so, so we fly her, and then I've got a new one, Diana, which is one of her sisters from this year. Um, one of the birds that we bred this year. So I've kept her back. She's done okay. The only problem with her is that she's so aggressive that she's not three buzzards out of the sky, and uh, and she got grabbed by one of them. Um, funny enough, she she grabbed one of them when I got to her. They were fighting on the floor. I managed to prize them apart. She went one way, the, the, the buzzard went the other. 
And then when I went to go and get her, I went with my son and my son said, oh, look, Dad, there she is. So I took the lure out, went to lure her in and about 200 yards away, another buzzard landed in the ground. She took off and nailed that one as well. <laughs> so she's got this thing about buzzards, but um, but we're slowly retraining her back onto the, the drone. I mean, she was doing about four or 500 foot on the drone. No buzzards were hurt in this <laughs> <laughs> So, but she's, she's slowly coming onto it. And then we've got the, uh, I, I tried to get the goshawk out. I mean, the goshawk, is sort of my bread and butter. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll fly the peregrine in the morning, fly the peregrine or in the afternoon, yeah. Um, but the goss will go for a walk with the goss. I mean, where we live, I mean, unfortunately, Jonathan, you never got to come here, but mm. we live in the middle of nowhere. So we are in the middle of the fields. I mean, there's just open fields all around. So, and I have a partridge pen out the back, which we basically put partridges into and we release uh, grey partridges like Simon does um, on the on ground. On a smaller we, scale. <clears throat> yeah, a much smaller scale. But I mean, we, this year has been a phenomenal year for partridges a breed. So when we got our young partridges this year, which we put into the pen, uh, like happens every year, the wild partridges come in. And this year we had a covey of about 18 wild partridges all around the pen, which is fantastic to see that they bred, you know, and they've done really well last year. Um, so, I mean, the goshawk is the one that I'm, I'm only for that. And the Harris hawk, the Harris hawk's a new bird that we picked up. Um, at, a uh, at a show. Yeah, there was a lady that whose husband had died and uh, she wanted it to go to a good home. And Charlotte said, oh, well, we'll take it. And so that bird, basically, we've only just started flying it, really, and basically getting it out. It's, it's, a, it's already a made hunting bird. So I train the birds <clears throat> five days a week, and Jose hunts them all weekend. Well, now four days, because basically I try to get out on Thursday on and Friday as well, day. on yeah. the, uh, the two days that I'm here. At least just go for a walk. I just put them up and do some training. Mm -hmm. The only problem is, is that at the moment, bird flu is a big scare here at the moment it's it's got worse you know since the last time i spoke to you a year ago it has got worse um and now you know no well i won't go anywhere near ducks at all you know mm. no way will i go i won't go anywhere near where there feather. are ducks yeah? yeah and even with feather i'm a bit like mm, you know we try to basically Unless you know ground, certain it ground is a game. grouse and it's yeah, yeah. although i mean here the, the, the grouse apart from the, start, the, the statistics are showing that um the majority of all the birds that have got bird flu are ducks, uh, not any of the other species. They haven't shown any of the other species that basically have it. Peregrines have seagulls. got um, bird flu, but they, yeah, the seagulls basically live with water, waterfowl, don't they? So seagulls, uh, peregrines have had um, bird flu, but they've had it because they've been feeding, predating on wildfowl, and that's why they've got it. So these other birds at the moment, I haven't seen any, not where we live anyway. Where we live, it's not too bad, but it is becoming a big concern. I'm having to turn schools away um, because I know they're in an infected area um, and I'm just not even willing to take the vehicle there, let alone anything else. Um, the thought of transporting it back to home just, yeah, it's just not worth it. No, I can imagine you being extra paranoid because it's your living. I totally understand yeah, the uh, the extra precautions for sure. I mean, there's yeah. there, there's been a lot of um, mixed kind of views on it here in here in the states i mean some guys are just willing to um you know to take the chance more than others and you know teach their own but i totally get if it's part of your your living you know put food on the table type of job to, to make sure that your birds have to stay healthy and and do all i i, I get it i also don't want the worry um of, of the people themselves that are in the infected areas and it's the worry not being affected but carrying it um, and then passing it to birds that way. It's one of those things. I mean, like the other thing as well, you've got to think about is when we've got a business like this is that 
you know, the years that it takes to basically train these birds and get them to do what you want them to do. Um, you know, the guys in America, I can understand basically, you know, flying ducks. And if, if you don't fly ducks, you don't fly and stuff like that. But if you've got, you know, three or four geofalcons and basically you're flying ducks and they're, you know, four or five or six years old and stuff like that, if one bird gets bird flu, you've had it, all four of them are gone. You know, that's it. You might as well basically just, because, well, here, I don't know about America, but here they will kill everything on site. You know, so there's no there's no getting out of it. I get it. I it's it's it sounds it sounds like a nightmare, and you know, I I I can't imagine having sixty something birds that you're using, like I said, to hunt with and also make a living with, and having that that constant stress. So, like I said, I mean, I, I get it, and um, but I mean, like as far as everything else, though, I mean, how often do you guys actually get a chance to go out? in the field together i mean do you guys get a chance to at all yeah we do yeah no we do we do we, we we'll go out uh together we've got a lot of friends that basically around us i mean um john meads uh andrew ellis who who basically you i know you've just his podcast just come out recently mm-hmm. um Andy's a great friend of ours we've been up to andy's uh john meads basically who flies i think you're going to be speaking to him soon and he mm-hmm. he flies two golden eagles a female and a male so we go out with john with john on his bit of land which is not far from where we live um, so we, re- we we regularly throughout the season we'll go out quite often. I mean I'll go out a lot more than Charlotte does because Charlotte's still working. So she, so at weekends she'll still be doing stuff, you know, with with the birds and she'll be doing experience days and stuff like that. Not as much, but you know she does that. If if you like my falconry fix is this time of year, whereas Charlotte, you know, she's got falc- she's doing it all the time. It's a job, you know. So uh, so she'll come out when we're all going out together and stuff like that. She doesn't have a dedicated fo- a hunting bird. She well, flies my bird. Have for many years, but yeah, um, but she's uh, got time. I gave it up about five years to have my own bird because I wasn't giving it what it needed, and I couldn't bring myself to to keep the bird flying during the week um, and not be able to give it as much hunting as it deserved. I mean, um, the, the ground we live on as well is particularly for falcons and goshawks. Yeah, you, know, you, you you couldn't fly you couldn't fly Harrisort well out here, um, not unless you had land with a lot of hares on it um, or, or rabbits. And there's no rabbits around where we live. Hares, yes, there is hares, um, but everything else. I mean, because it's so open here, the game gets up pretty fast. You know, partridges, pheasants, you know, everything gets up and goes. You know, and, and you've got to have a fast bird to t- to chase it. There's very little cover. Yes, yeah. they're known. Fen pheasants are known as some of the most awkward. Um, and most difficult and fast birds um, of the pheasants across the country. Um, but, but just because yeah. they haven't got the cover, so they, they've just got to keep going. They pretty much go horizontally as they take off. They don't go vertically and then go out, which you see most pheasants do. They go up and out. No, these just go, you know, and, and they're used to it, and they're smaller. They're much smaller. So, uh, so yeah, we, I mean, we, we get out quite often, you know, quite often, basically, yeah. And, uh, um, like I said, we've got a good circle of friends here that all fly birds. I mean, during the summer, when I start flying in September, um, there's three of us. Um, so uh, Anthony Ash, uh, Mick Smith, uh, and myself, basically, the three Falcon friends, and we all fly peregrines. And uh, we'll all sort of meet up here, basically, in the afternoons. We'll all phone each other, basically, as we're come rushing home from work to try to get here. And obviously, because where I live, I just step out the front door and fly. So they all come here to fly. So we'll all drone together and we'll all basically fly together. And as the season starts and goes, then we'll all basically start to go out together. This year has been a little bit different, you know, because uh, of what's been going on. But it's been, uh, yeah, we, we normally go out often. I haven't seen Anthony half as much as I would normally. Anthony flies uh, a Perry, uh, Perry Barbary, 
um, a, quite a small little male peribarbary and a pure, I think it's a, uh, no, it's actually a pure female peregrine. And then uh, Mick Smith has got a pure male peregrine and then he's got a, um, a peregrine that I bred this year. So we've, we've got a set, one set of peregrines we've got, which is a, it's got sort of like, what is it? One thirty-two. no, one, one, I can't remember what it is now. It's something ridiculous, Barbara. It's got a tiny little bit of Barbara in it and the rest of it is pure peregrine. And, uh, the, the birds that come out are quite big birds. They're not, they've got hardly any Barbara in them at all. I mean, what, when you look at them on paperwork, you have to put down that they've got Barbara in them. Um, but they, uh, the females, uh, Mick Smith's got one of the females, which is basically very much, she's one of the sisters to Wonky and the other bird that I've got here, Diana. We have a, we have, um, uh, a dinner at the beginning of the year, um, which we always about 20 of us that basically go to that. And then we have a, an end of year dinner, which we basically have what about 15 to 20 doing that as well. Basically. Guess who cooks? Yeah. I, I was really bummed that things worked out the way they did to where I, I didn't get a chance to, I mean, I recorded probably. Yeah, like 15, I think it was like 15 episodes while I was out there, you know, over those, those, that week and a half or however long it was. And yeah, I just, but between everything else going on, I was, I was bummed that I didn't get a chance to stop out there. You had promised me this, this special, <laughs> this special birthday dinner, you know, and, um, and I didn't get a chance to capitalize on it. So hopefully another time yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll be back there eventually, but, um, but, all, but, you know, I, I guess, all that being said, it would, it would be kind of nice to talk a little bit too then about the other bit of organized chaos that you take on each year that I got a chance to attend being kind of the, the whole game fair atmosphere. And, you know, I'm sure that that is a whole other challenge in and of itself, kind of helping organize that and, and, uh, running that whole show. That was, uh, that was quite a, that was quite an ordeal. It looked like this year, um, with the Valley Expo um, coming on just literally the weekend before it, um, as you were over for both of them, um, it, it did change a lot of um, the aspects of it. Um, unfortunately, with one thing and another, um, I ended up with four cancellations the week in between the Expo and the Game Fair. Um, for one reason or another, Um we ended up with four cancellations, which made it very difficult last minute um, to try and deal with those. Um, it has been growing on year on year. Um, it's 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 a, an enormous event, and Falconry's always had a, a little heart of it. Um, we've always had a very massive um, uh, an attraction rate there for public and falconers, um, and I think. This year, um, a lot of people wanted to go to the expo and got the experience to go to that. And then to try and get people with the cost of living and everything in this country at the moment, um, the fuel costs to then travel again to the game fair was really had an effect this year. Um, a lot of people were saying to me, I just physically cannot afford to go to both. I've got to go one to the other. And I think as falconers per se, um, we want to go to a specialist thing. And I totally get it. We went to the expo. Um, at the last minute, um, the job I was doing really last minute got cancelled. Um, so fortunately, I got paid for the job. Um, but it meant that we were able to actually go to the expo ourselves and have a look because having gone to the races and thoroughly enjoyed it over there, um, watching the Valley races, um, 
and it's it the rocro for us as falconers um you go to these displays and i totally get any other falconer going to a display it must be boring as hell to watch the the person go in and do a bird of prey display it's like same old same old and, and i totally get it and at times i can fly my birds and i come home and i'm absolutely bummed because one of the birds has not played game and host is like yeah but those people have never seen it before and i'm like yeah but it didn't fly well it didn't do what it was meant to do and host gets gets at me and says yeah but people's perception is not as great as what yours is i think charlotte charlotte is too hard on herself i mean it you know the, the general public basically that even being in the presence of a bird of prey is enough you know that that's just they're in awe of it that's why they all come and gawp at them at the, at the fair and, and and that's what we're there for you know the, the, the game fair is a phenomenal um institution right for showing off what we do in the countryside and not only with, with birds of prey it, it, it's to do with basically shooting with anything else and it's before our, you go too far is, before you go too far i just want to go back but for us to go to the Valley races, um, not this year we couldn't go, um, but last year we did. Um, we spent the whole of the row crow flying with our mouths on the jaw on the floor, going, "Did you just see that? Did you just see that?" The f- the guys trying to outwit the falcons with the row crow at the end to bring it into the arena. It took our breath away, and it was amazing to see something refreshing so out there um, compared to what we'd been so used to with the displays. Um, so that's what made it, um, for us, an attraction to go and see the expo, um, which was obviously earlier in the year. But, but yeah, but going as back you said, to the game yeah, fair. The, the, the expo is for falconers. That's what I'm trying to yeah. say. The, the, the races are for falconers. Yeah. And... Falconers basically appreciate what's going on. The other thing about that is that basically you cannot do that at the game fair. You just can't do it. You, you, you need you a cannot, special license. You can't get the, can't get the license. You cannot fly those road crow above sort of, there's 150,000 people that go to the game fair. You cannot fly the road crow above them. Uh-huh. Yeah. And just in case there's an accident. And then what happens is the falconry area has always been basically at one corner. Right, because basically we camp out behind them. We've got all our birds there and everything. People got dogs and all that sort of stuff, so we can camp on site, which is which is great for that. But then every falconer say, "Well, we're always out on the limb," so then they say, "Okay, well, we'll put you more central." Push so push to we get pushed more central, and now then falconers going out and say, "Yeah, but it's boring. You should wire fly a road crow." Well, we can't fly a road crow over the top of everybody. You need to come aircraft license. You can't fly a drone either because of basically health and safety. They, you know, they they go mad if you fly a drone. There. So I say to Shark, "Yeah, you're, you're being too hard on yourself." And and what the the whole falcon and more of the falconers in this country need to understand this that the game fair is a great way basically to meet all your friends um, from the falconry world. There'll be falconry equipment there which you can buy. But more importantly, what it is, it's our face to the public. It's our face to the general public of basically showing them what we do, how we do it, and how good we are at what we do. So that basically it puts us on a good footing politically, right, with everybody. And and that needs to happen, you know, and, and more falconers need to understand that because if they are falconers that go there and go, oh, it was really boring when we did the same thing, it's not for you. It's for everybody else. And what you should do is support it because that's what we need to do to show. Because at some point, what will happen is we are a minority sport in here in the UK. And as probably you are in America, we're a minority sport. 
And Minority Spores, as I've heard say plenty of times on these podcasts, they can forget you very, very quickly, right? If you do not stand there and do something good and show how good you are and explain it to people so that when they go away or when the kids are growing up, they remember that day that they went to the fair and they saw the bird or they got near to it. They got told about it. They they had a little microscope and looked into a cast and saw the bones and all that sort of stuff. You know, and the, that's important that that needs to happen. I think more people you know, need to understand that and need to support things like the game fair, you know, and to, to go there and, and, you know, to help as much as possible rather than sit there and be like, well, we, have, we do have some people that just will complain. I mean, Falconers complain full stop anyway, but, you know, they're just like, you know, they want to complain about everything they're complaining. And there's, there's a limit to how much you can do in a Falconry display, basically, to make it more exciting, you know, to try and do new things. But for most of the general public, just even being in there, I mean, I, you know, I cannot, during the season, you'll go to shows and it'll be like seven or eight people deep trying to get a look at the birds, trying to take pictures of the birds. And if I get asked one more time, basically, what does it eat, how old it is and what is its name? Yeah, I think I'll lynch myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The big yeah. question this year is always, I mean, how many feathers does it have? <laughs> well, I've never plucked my bird, so I don't know <laughs> my answer. Yeah. Um, but it is, yeah. it's a, for Charlotte, it's a massive undertaking. I mean, she works on it. Uh, when do you start? Oh, we'll be starting the end of February this year again. Yeah. So end, end of Feb all the way through until the end of July. And that's when it takes place. August. Uh, for the game fair. Yeah, for the game yeah, fair. Oh, no, the game fair. We're already on it now. Oh, we are. We've already started working. Next week. I've yeah. got so already start meeting. looking for people to basically to go, exhibitors, basically the, the demos, the Falcon, setting up the Falconry area, working out basically times. Uh, health and safety, paperwork and stuff like that. The, ga- the gathering license for birds, which we need to do. You know, she takes on all of that. It's a, it's a, it's a whole year's job. Yeah, you know, on off, basically working to that to get to those three days when we're there. Yeah, you know? oh, I'm, I'm sure. And and let's just, I mean, just being real and just being completely, you know, honest with ourselves. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You're not ever going to be able to please everybody in any facet of anything, right? So, sure. I, I like I said that that's why I always have a measure of of respect for people that are willing to take on something that's that large to that degree, and also encompasses so many different things. Because not only do you have the falconers, who you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, yes, we're we can be a, a hard bunch to please at times, but but also so can you know the fishing crowds oh, so 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 can especially yeah. the the dog the the dog you know training yeah. and the dog breeding crowd um you know just the other any aspect of hunting or any aspect of of anything anywhere you've got passion yeah, yeah exactly and anywhere you've got passion is, yeah yeah got a problem and and everybody's the first to criticize and then you turn around to them and say well okay give me some ideas where i can change um and but realistic ones um, like saying that, can we do the road crow? Yeah, let's and fly a road said, crow. Let's fly, you, let's fly a drone above the 150,000 people right, and not have it crash and basically them get sued to hell yeah, because it crashed it. <laughs> but I spent two days looking into it solid um, on the phone um, to try and get an insurance on it, and we couldn't get anything. And everyone kept coming back to the fact that we needed an aircraft licence. Well, I don't fly a plane. I don't have any licence um, to do that. And I couldn't find a falconer that does have a license that was willing to use the row crow either. Um, and it is just purely because we're on top of the public. Um, there is talk 
potentially, possibly in the future, of putting us in a field next to it. But then we're not displaying to the public. Um, You're getting pulled away and, and again. it's pulling us yeah. away again. So I, 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 I don't know about it. in America, Jonathan, but here, falconry has become so much more accepted. You know, um, we you can you can watch adverts on television where you'll see a hawk. Yeah, you can watch television programs where you'll see someone doing falconry. And uh, it's not, a, ooh, you know, it's basically it's something that's now becoming part and parcel of what we do. You know, there's plenty of adverts on television with, with birds of prey. And so Catalogs. because it's becoming accepted, you know, because it's becoming accepted, it's because over the years, people who, you know, have been in the clubs and, you know, and I, I was chairman of the British Hawking Association for five years. And John, Charlotte's dad was at the central. And with the Hawk board and the guys that work in the Hawk board and that, they've worked hard to get this acceptance, you know, to get these, the, the general public to accept what we do. And if, if you, the, the thing is, is if, if they try, if you've got that massive acceptance from everybody and everybody sees you in a good light, then when people try to squeeze us, you know, and stop what we do or make it more difficult or stuff like that, then their their voices that are going to be added to ours say, well, no, actually, you know, that you, you shouldn't do that because Falkland and all the people that don't do Falkland, oh no, Falkland is okay. We've seen Falkland, we've seen what they do, we've seen the birds of prey, we love it, you know, and hopefully, basically, that that will help to it will help to sway. I'm not I'm not going to say it's going to make change their minds, but it helped to sway. And the people that basically think that ah nah, bugger it, I'm just going to go and fly my bird over here in the corner where basically nobody's going to you know. Uh, affect me i'm not going to get involved in any of that sort of thing i mean you know they're they're, they're ostriches that are sticking their heads in the sand you know basically it, it, it's going to happen you know while your head's in the sand it's going to happen and then what's going to happen then you, you're going to be doing it illegally and then once you're doing it if you're doing it illegally then you really don't care about your birds because basically at any given point they're going to be basically taken away from you so it, it's it's a uh, it's one of those things that you know, the folkery community basically needs to stick together and help each other and and stuff like this we could do with people supporting it as opposed to we've had a few instances where people have basically sort of moaned and groaned afterwards about it you, you shouldn't be moaning and groaning about it you should be basically supporting it as much as possible yeah that's, nine, that's nine times out of ten it's the guys that do the displays that's the forward facing of falconry yeah. in front of the public we're, we're the ones who put our necks on the lines and get the people that are against keeping birds in captivity um, in the fact that we feed our birds other animals um, and we have to face that day after day at these displays um, and we're the ones that are educating them. Now, 90% of those people, I'm honestly, will walk away with the same opinion because whatever you say to them, they don't want to listen. They're, they've already got their mind fixed. But if you explain to people that come up to your stand and they, they see the birds sitting in the muse, and they'll turn around and say, oh, aren't they sad? And you then try to explain to them, well, how does an owl look happy? And how does a Harris hawk smile? Um, you, you then explain to them that, yes, they have been flown. Um, yes, they've had their exercises. But now they've had their food, they're content. Okay, what would they be doing in the wild? Sitting in a tree now, doing nothing, digesting their food. And then they go away with the positive of it that what we're doing is a good thing. We are educating people about these birds for kids to see them in the future. I want my son to be able, if he wants to, at the moment, um, Minecraft and Fortnite and FIFA is far more important. Um, but if he wants to take up falconry in the future, he will have, an, he's got more than enough knowledge 
to do a talk and a display now. Um, but if he wants to actually take the hunting side up, he's got that knowledge as well. And I, I want it to be there for him, where if we don't take the forward fronting arguments um, and be that face every time we do go to a show and a country fair, and even teachers at schools, um, don't talk about hunting, okay? How would you like me to educate your children about what these birds eat in the wild? Um, and the minute you say that, well, they eat a mouse, and I, we had it at the school last week, and we were talking about the barn owl and the circle of life and with barn owls eating um, mice in the farms. Okay, so where do you find a barn? And um, the amount of kids that would say in a city, and then you'd finally get them on a farm, and then they'd say, well, the mice eat cheese. Okay, well, where does cheese come from? And then you have to start down that avenue as well. But those kids will go away now with that little bit more knowledge and therefore respect the barn owls um, and respect the wildlife when they are out driving around in the countryside um, and things. And I think they're the things, and a lot of the teachers as well, because if we don't educate the teachers, they're also not going to be able to educate more children. Um, I think there's many people that have a perceived idea about what we do in the Falkland world. And they, unless it's explained to them, that perceived idea basically sort of just lingers. I mean, you get it in every, in every, any of these field sports that are basically is a little bit sort of like, a, you know, um, a little bit controversial in the fact that basically they just get this idea and then basically that's it. But then until someone sits down and explains it to them, uh, we've had people here. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. Right? It's a great story. We had a guy who came here who was a professor, very, very high-level professor, geologist, right? He used to go on the Antarctic survey and everything. Great guy, really nice guy. And he was at Cambridge University. He came here uh, with his wife, and he said um, he wanted to learn about birds of prey, something he'd always basically wanted to learn about. And we used to do courses. We used to do like a three-day course and a four-day course. And a four-day course, basically, you went out hunting on the, on the fourth day. And we take out two Harris Hawks and we take them hunting. <clears throat> so he came to this uh, is that and, and he said to his wife at the beginning, he said, I don't want to hunt. And his wife. Uh, yeah, I, and his wife don't want to hunt. I just want to learn about birds. I want to learn everything there is to learn about birds of prey. And possibly at some point I want to own one. Right. So he said, but I'll I want to learn about them. So he he we had him here for the days so where we started teaching, doing all the teaching about falconry. We've gone through all the different types of birds. We're talking about the characters of the birds. We're talking about the food. We talk about preparation of the food. And as we went through these days, he got more and more into it. And he was like, he was really, really into everything we were talking about. So then we got into flying the birds basically on the last day and the training. We were taking them all through the training stuff that we do. And on the last day, we went hunting. So we go out on this hunting day and he was still very unsure, but he wanted to see it because now he'd gone through all of this. The door had been open a little bit and he was a bit intrigued. So we get him out on this day and Charlotte and I are basically out with two Harris Hawks. She's flying one, I'm flying the other. And then as we've gone through the day, we've then given them the Harris Hawks each for them to carry basically and them to fly. Anyway, we've got, we're walking along this piece of scrub and a rabbit bolted out the scrub and they both let the birds go. The birds were chasing it down this hill, right? And it was a really long slip down the hill. They were screaming and shouting, right? Jumping up and down in excitement as the bird was chasing them. They're running down the hill behind the birds. They pretty much got there before the birds did. <laughs> they got there and we got there, right? To the birds. The birds had caught the rabbit and they caught the rabbit together. And the guy stood back and he went, oh my God. He went, you've created a monster with both of us. He said, because 
he couldn't talk because he was so excited and he'd found, he'd felt things that he never felt before. And the way that the birds had chased, the excitement, the, the fact that he wanted it to catch the rabbit, but another he didn't want it to catch the rabbit, but he wanted it to catch the rabbit. He wanted it to be successful. And now he caught the rabbit. He felt this massive euphoria that he caught the rabbit. He was very excited. He was so happy. He was hugging his wife and hugging us. And, and he got really excited about it. And that guy had a female harassal. And he flew his female Harris for years. He's basically took it up to Scotland. Uh, he, he's up there. there. He's moved up to Scotland. He catches crows with this female Harris. It's an absolutely awesome female Harris. But we, he said, he said after us when he's seen us, he said, that, you know, you, you created a monster. He said, like, I, I just love it. I love the whole idea of it and, and, and the excitement and the primeval thing that it's brought out in me. Nature and nature. And, and nature, yeah, that's exactly what he said. Nature and nature and, and seeing, being in a place where I could see that happening, uh, that struggle that happens every day that we don't necessarily see. And that was great. I mean, it's one of those things that's ever stood with both of us ever since, because there was a guy that, nah, yeah. And then at the end of it, loved it. About nine, yeah. nine ten years ago, that yeah, was. Absolutely yeah. loved it. And we've had other people basically have come here since that, totally. that we've taught and that have made fantastic falconers. They've been grateful. We don't take, to make too many monsters <laughs> yeah no that's that's great though i mean yeah and i think that um i think that we as people you know as as you know humans as a species we we love to anthropomorphize everything and you know i think that once people like you said i mean that that's a that's a perfect example of of when people understand that these things aren't you know house pets dogs cats or whatever that there really is a you know, very primal relationship between the rest of the world that we don't see on a normal basis, then yeah, they, they get it. But yeah, I mean, as far as everything else goes though, I mean, like I said, I, I, I'm really glad that if nothing else that, that I got a chance to at least check the game fair out, you know, get to, you know, meet you guys in person finally and stuff while I was out there. I'm, we're going to go ahead and, um, and I, I want to, I want to wrap this discussion up though with, um, just getting you guys' thoughts on if there's any particular thing that you want to, you know, pass on or any any views that that you have from from your perspective of doing, you know, these shows and then, you know, incorporating both aspects of of, you know, the the sport and stuff that, that you've seen. You know, if there's anything, any advice or anything that you want to pass along to to anybody else down the line that might might hear this later in particular. I I think that. um you know, we, we, it's a great sport that we 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 all find ourselves in. Um, you know, I've listened to all the podcasts that you've done, and I and I listen to the guys basically talk about the sport at America and what what you guys have done and what you guys have achieved with with the Peregrine Fund. And you know that you guys deserve a massive pat on the back, you know, for that. Yeah, um, I mean, what you guys did with the Peregrines and and um, bringing the Peregrine back from the brink of this, of, of you know being I'm just kidding. gone you know, absolutely gone, you know, and, and not been a single peregrine there um, to what you have now of healthy peregrine, uh, you know, numbers in, in America is, is phenomenal. Um, and I, I think that, that that camaraderie that you guys have over there of, of that you have into clubs, between into clubs, and the, the, the contact with nature, it seems that basically in America, I, I don't know, I could be wrong. I mean, I'm listening to a lot of guys basically live in rural areas out in America, but the contact that you have with wildlife and, and with animals basically in America is something that's lost to people here in the UK. I think um, in, in Europe, 
uh, a lot of people have a very close connection to the countryside and animals and wildlife and you know everything to do with the countryside and in the uk we are we, we most of us live in in cities or most people live in cities so they haven't they have a really uh, they're not close to any wildlife countryside nothing and it seems that you guys from everybody that i hear you know have still have that that contact you know with wildlife you know and uh and, and that's great that's admirable you know and I, I would hope that people basically here um that people would especially with the falconry fraternity that they they look towards basically supporting what we do that more people here in the falconry world accept the fact that basically you know display teams and people that go out and do these displays are doing a job for you as well as basically earning a living they're doing a job for you they're making you look good you know so that you can continue your sport and and be able to do your sport because without them it wouldn't happen very soon the minority would basically go off into a corner somewhere where somebody would go nah i don't need that anymore gone yeah so that that's my point of view now. as a display team we we have to have a new license that's come out five six years ago now um and and even with that now it we lost a lot of people um and good falconers that were doing it at the time um just turned around and said that look there's too many changes it's not something i want to look at um and um they actually gave it up um because of it for doing the displays um but now we have to a have to have this license um that we're going to have to adapt to um and we can fight until we're blue in the face but we're such a minority um i can't see a lot of them changing because of it um so we're going to have to adapt to it and looking at ways to adapt to it so that we can carry on being a face. Um, but instead, we just get knocked down time and time again, sadly, by the falconers, um, by the guys that do go out, or, or <laughs> I hate to say it, I think the guys that li listen to these podcasts in particular are people that do have a passion. But the people that are on social media, and I call them armchair falconers yeah yeah uh, are guys men and women that have a harris hawk or a peregrine in their back garden and they may go and fly it out once or twice a month they're the ones that want to criticize us all the time and, and they want to give everybody advice on how to do everything else and, yeah and even though they've never done it before and, yeah. and don't have the experience and all i'm trying to say is um give us a bit of a break for the display to people um we've we have to work all year round to keep our birds fit and healthy. Okay, you're hunting guys. You get them out at the, uh, the towards the end of the year um, as the host gets his out at the end of August, ready for in the beginning, ready for the set, beginning of September, um, and he goes through the winter with it. Bird food, uh, avian influenza, being as it is, obviously things are changing more and more with the seasons. Um, but for us, we are flying our birds all year and. We are putting a face on all the time. Um, yes, we're there for education. And yes, we're at times it is entertainment. But if you don't do it through entertainment, people don't want to listen. And, and Charlotte, Charlotte goes out. I mean, one of the things that she loves doing more than anything else is, is the schools oh, yeah. and the kids. And she's doing a job basically out in these schools and kids at a very young age, giving them an impression on basically falconry and what birds of prey are. That, there's going, that is hopefully going to last them a lifetime and think something they're going to remember does come to them and they get we get to adults yeah they're going to have an interest in falconry you know have an interest in basically birds of prey or even basically when it comes to someone wanting to ban birds of prey they're going to go well, actually no i i know about that and I, I remember the lady that came and basically spoke about it so yeah. 
the shows that I've seen, especially when I've made my treks through like Eastern Europe and, you know, getting to see, you know, some of these bird display shows they have, you know, some of these different castles and things like that, you know, and, and getting to meet, you know, the, the people that are, that are part of these shows that, that also, you know, like to hunt hares with their golden eagles or whatever, you know, the case might be or whatever. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's an important part of, you know, like you said, just the outreach and the PR aspect of things for sure. Cause you know, like you said, you, you brought up a, a good point, Charlotte, in that if it's not put out there in kind of a, an entertaining visual to latch onto anymore, it's really hard to get people's attention. And, and I totally get that, but, but yeah, I mean, as far as, um, you know, if, if people want to check out your show that, that haven't seen it yet or, or check out, you know, the different things that you do, go ahead and, and plug, um, go ahead and plug your, your show and, you know, your businesses and things real quick so people can, can check out the, the stuff if they want to. Well, the website is uh, www.cjsbirdsofprey.co.uk. Um, we've got the website on there where we do new thing that's come to us really in the last three or four years um, is, is weddings um, where people, particularly fathers are very good at this, um, of the bride and the groom. Um, they want us there to stop people from drinking. So we're the entertainment in between the wedding over here and the photos. Um, so instead of people drinking alcohol and getting absolutely wasted before they actually go in for the food for the breakfast, lunch, um, we do weddings, we do corporate work, uh, many different corporate works in all different ways, um, TV work, schools, demos. And, um, yeah, and demos. Anything that has needs a bird of prey. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. It's um, it's what it's there. If, if genuinely, if I could for the spend the rest of my life going five days a week to schools, I would. That that would be my absolute dream, ultimate thing to do, just to educate children to true facts about the birds um, and not getting put into a narrow-minded person's point of view. Understand, understand. Well, I mean, do you guys have any final last thoughts then before um, before we end? Like I said, I'm going to have to go and, and hunt my new red tail that I just gotten ready to free fly and stuff here before too long, so... Well, I, I just want to say, basically, I love the podcast. Right? I mean, I, I, Charlotte, I bore Charlotte, basically, with them, listen to them in the car. No, it's, we go on, it's on not long journeys. Uh, look, my, my, uh, I absolutely love them. I mean, I, I love the, the the people that you've got on there, the mix of people that you've got on there. I mean, you've got quite a lot of my good friends on there and some some people from abroad that you've had as well. Um, and I, I think it's great. It's admirable what you're doing. Uh, it's a great service to falconry. Yeah, you guys are doing a massive service to falconry. And the more people we can get, non-falconers, that basically would listen to the podcast and learn something um, in in all of the stuff that you do. I don't think there's one podcast I've listened to that I haven't learned something or that I haven't really... Switched off before Yeah, I've I've really enjoyed all of them. I mean, it really is. I can't say enough. I mean, I wish we had a British podcast that basically does what you do here in the UK and would take advantage more of basically the the amount of falconry people that we have here in the UK. You know, like you did an interview with um, um, oh, the guy through the Eagle, Ronnie... Ronnie Moore. Ronnie Moore. Mm. Incredible, right? Ronnie Moore is a fantastic falconer, yeah, and a wealth of, of knowledge, right? And a great eagle falconer. 
Yeah, and and yeah, just listen to listen to him tell those little stories about basically things that he'd done. Fantastic, absolutely brilliant. So I, I, well done, really I, well done. I can't take my hat off enough to what you've done. Um, and and in my heart of hearts, I kind of wish it happened 30, 40 years ago where we could the falconers that we've lost. Um, you could very have, much yeah. recently. Yeah. Um, a lot of the really big big named guys particularly in the uk yeah. Stephen the, franks i mean like you roger know upton, roger upton you, um, yeah would have made fantastic jim chick it's just all the those stories guys. that we've lost um which is heart-wrenching uh, okay not only lost the guys themselves but they lost their stories and their passions and their experiences that um they had we, when the the game was much more abundant in this country and and it was um Okay, elitist in some ways, but there's, there's still their stories are still amazing to listen to. We, we've had the pleasure of basically having a few drinks over a campfire, right, sitting there until the early hours of the morning listening to stories that would blow any falconer away. Yeah, when you're listening to them, and they would be brilliant on this sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, I and and it's funny that you mentioned that because that's something that I've mentioned before. You know, to many people is that that's the only regret that I have in doing a lot of these things is that. You know, I mean, and it, and it's their right, but I mean, there's some guys that just choose not to to do that, and then that's it's understandable. I mean, it's not for everybody, but at the same time, yeah, like you said, there's you, you wish that this technology and the the people who are willing to undertake the labor of love, so to speak, were around decades ago. Because yes, you, I totally agree. I mean, having all these written works you know, books that you can read and stuff. Yeah. That's one thing, but actually hearing somebody's voice and, and, and hearing, hearing the inflections, hearing, you know, the, the, the passion or, or the, you know, the, the emotion, I guess you, I should say, yeah. you know, and, and some of these people's voices as they're telling these things yeah. and, and discussing some of these favorite memories of theirs. Yeah. I mean, it's priceless. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, thank you very much for the kind words and for, and for taking part and, and for also, you know, being willing to, to try and, and, and help me out at, at the game fair and stuff. Sorry about the technical difficulties and everything again with all that other crap. And, you know, it is what it is as far as, uh, you know. If you come over again, I mean, please do come and visit us, right? And, you know, we can, we can do another one if you want. Or basically, we can, we've got friends that we, we can do. A, actually, instead of doing a double one, you could have a load of friends sitting around together, right? And do one where you interview like three or four people at once. And they yeah. all come in with stories because I'll tell you what they our dinners when we sit here and we basically have the end of, and the beginning of the season dinners the stories that come out then I mean that is priceless you know absolutely priceless yeah yeah that's it's it's funny that you mentioned that too because I've had some friends you know be like oh you guys should do like an after dark episode or whatever <laughs> or whatever and I'm just like I'm just like oh you know you can't put that many bleeps yeah, in yeah 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 that that might be a little risque uh, but. <laughs> But at any rate, like I said, thank you guys again so much for being on here. And, um, you know, like I said, it's I'm always appreciative of any of anybody's time. And I know you guys always have a lot of stuff going on. And um, and yeah, I mean, I'll be over there again at some point. It's just a matter of when. And of course, you know, the the always ever There'll be a dinner here. I'll offer yeah. that. Even yeah, though yeah. I won't cook it. <laughs> well, like I said, I appreciate it. And um, go ahead and hang on here after I hit stop here. But uh, but yeah, thank you again. And like I said, I appreciate it. Pleasure. Absolute yeah. pleasure. All right.